Hello, my name is Julia, and this is the Media Podcast, where I talk about medicine in the context of media. Last week, we spoke about external female anatomy, and today, we are going inside. We are talking about internal anatomy so that we can better understand a condition called endometriosis. You may have heard of this condition on social media or from celebrities. Many celebrities have spoken out about their experience with this condition, so I will cite a couple throughout the episode, but the one I wanted to emphasize at the start of this episode is Padma Lakshmi. Padma is a model and the former host of one of my favorite TV shows, Top Chef. So I've been watching Padma on TV for many years. Before getting diagnosed with endometriosis, Padma struggled with symptoms of this disorder for 23 years. And unfortunately, that is not so unusual. Endometriosis sometimes takes many years to be diagnosed, and we will get into why when we dive deeper into this condition. But first, I want to read a short excerpt from Padma's memoir, Love, Loss, and What We Ate, which she published in 2013 to better kind of understand her experience. In the car, inching its way down Fifth Avenue toward Bergdorf Goodman and this glamorous party, I looked back on my past with a new understanding. This sickness, the endo-whatever, had stained so much. My sense of self, my womanhood, my marriage, my ability to be present. I had effectively missed one week of each month every year of my life since I was 13 because of the chronic pain and hormonal fluctuations I suffered during my period. I had lain in bed with heating pads and hot water bottles, using acupuncture, drinking teas, taking various pain medications, and suffering the collateral effects of them. I thought of all the many tests I missed in various classes throughout my education, the school dances, the jobs I knew I couldn't take as a model because of the bleeding and bloating as well as the pain, especially the bathing suit and lingerie shoots, which paid the most. How many family occasions was I absent from? How many second or third dates did I not go on? How many times had I not been there for others or for myself? How many of my reactions to stress or emotional strife had been colored through the lens of chronic pain? My sense of self was defined by this handicap. So here she describes the severe pain that debilitated her for a week every single month, and she talks about the implications of that. All those missed moments add up, and she essentially missed one-fourth of her life throughout adolescence and throughout her 20s. And I can only imagine that when she wasn't actively having symptoms during those other three weeks of the month, she was anticipating those symptoms, which also caused a lot of stress and anxiety. Padma said in the book that she had health insurance and access to the best doctors, and it still took 23 years for someone to figure out what was wrong. She was finally diagnosed in 2006, and in 2009, she founded the Endometriosis Foundation of America. So since then, she's been working very hard through this foundation to advocate for others with this condition. Advocating, like Padma and so many others do, raises awareness, which has been shown to decrease that huge length in time it takes to get a diagnosis. It also destigmatizes this condition and it makes people with it feel less alone, which are wonderful things. However, it can be hard when we see something on social media or in a celebrity interview that's shared by one person with this condition because they only know their experience and they usually represent their experience as the experience overall. 
And endometriosis especially can be extremely variable in the way that it presents. So it can be misleading to only see posts from one person or the occasional interview and people describe what they go through. So this hopefully will give kind of a better idea of the condition overall. Also, of course, just hearing people's symptoms doesn't really help you understand how the condition works or what it even really is. And it shows you what people might feel, but not why they're feeling that. So we will get into all of that today. Let's talk about endometriosis. So first, I want to provide some background on internal female anatomy. Then we'll go over how this condition works, the symptoms, how it's diagnosed, and how it might be treated. So first off, last week we talked about external female anatomy, which is comprised of the vulva. Within the labia minora, there's an opening to the vagina, which leads to the cervix. Cervix literally comes from the Latin word meaning neck. So you may have heard the term like your cervical spine before. That's literally the spine in your neck. So cervix or cervical means neck. And so the neck that comes from your vagina is just kind of a narrowing, like the neck of your body, and it narrows and then opens up into your uterus. So vagina, cervix, uterus. Your uterus at the top branches into two tubes, which are your fallopian tubes. So at the top, there's two kind of offshoots on either side. And these fallopian tubes actually open right up into the abdominal cavity. So there's little openings at the end that go into your abdomen. And then very close by, again, within your abdominal cavity are your ovaries. And so they're super close together. And that's how when you ovulate, your eggs get from your ovaries into your fallopian tubes. And it goes your vulva on the outside, has an opening to your vagina, which leads to your cervix, your uterus, branches off on either side to your fallopian tubes, which open up into your abdominal cavity. And then sitting in your abdominal cavity close by are your ovaries. So typically during menstruation or when you have your period, the superficial layer of the uterus, which is called the endometrium, grows to support a fetus and its head. So your uterus going inward has multiple layers. The superficial most layer, so like the one facing kind of the you know cavity of your uterus, that top layer, that grows during menstruation so that if a egg is fertilized and it makes a little embryo, it can implant into the wall. And so that endometrium will support a fetus if one is to grow. If there is no fetus, so every month that you're not getting pregnant, you will have a period. So that layer, the endometrium that built up during the past few weeks will then shed and you'll secrete it blood, mucus comes out, that's your period. So in the case of endometriosis, endometrial tissue occurs outside that uterine cavity. So typically the endometrium just lines that inside of the uterus. In endometriosis, it's ectopic. So what that means is you may have heard the term ectopic pregnancy. That means you have a pregnancy implant somewhere where it shouldn't. Endometriosis, you have ectopic endometrial tissue. So that tissue that proliferates and then sheds happens outside of the uterus. So usually this is still within your pelvis, often on your ovaries, but it can also happen in other parts of your abdominal cavity and even parts of other parts of your body. So it can happen in your bowels or your intestines. It can happen along your diaphragm, which is just a big muscle 
that helps you breathe. It can literally get into your chest cavity and implant in your lungs. So this endometrial tissue can go pretty much wherever. And then typically the proliferation and shedding of your endometrium is kind of signaled by hormones. So when those hormones are in your blood, they will stimulate that same growing and shedding elsewhere, wherever that ectopic tissue is. And I touched on some last episode, but I do also want to note that because this is, you know, that ectopic uterine tissue, even though I'm saying things like female anatomy, this condition can affect anybody with a uterus. So not all females have uterus and not everybody with a uterus identifies as female, but anybody with a uterus can have endometriosis. And we're not really sure 100% why this happens, why you get that tissue in other parts of the body. The leading theory is something called Samson's theory. And that is the idea that you have something called retrograde flow. So instead of that endometrial tissue flowing forward, so out of your uterus, through the vagina, out of your body, it goes backwards or retrograde. And so it goes through the fallopian tubes. And since they open directly into your abdominal cavity, that tissue goes into the abdomen and other parts of the body and just sticks to other things and then is stimulated and secreted. So that is the leading theory, but there's other kind of ideas of what's going on and it's not totally 100% understood. So it's hard to know how many women are truly affected because a lot of women, as you can imagine, given those that do get diagnosed take so long, there's probably many women that never even get diagnosed. And so endometriosis is estimated to affect up to 15% of women of reproductive age. But again, that's not a set statistic because likely many women aren't diagnosed. So we don't know exactly how many women have it, but it's estimated about 10 to 15%. So let's talk about some of the symptoms of this. The triad associated, so the big three symptoms that usually, like as a med student, you're taught go with endometriosis are three things dysmenorrhea, dyspareunia, and infertility. So dysmenorrhea means extremely painful period, so more so than the average period. Anybody listening who has had a period knows they're generally uncomfortable, crampy. Dysmenorrhea is more severe than your average period, so severe pain with your period. Dyspareunia is pain with penetration or sex, so extremely painful sex. And the third was infertility. I don't really like using that word in this context because infertility means you cannot conceive, you cannot get pregnant. That is unfortunately sometimes the case in endometriosis, but many women are still able to conceive. They might just face some more challenges in doing so. And so I think impaired fertility is more accurate and a little bit kinder to say. And I I do think it's true that it's impaired and it's challenging but it's they're not necessarily infertile so I'll be saying that but that triad that we're taught as trainees is the dysmenorrhea painful periods dyspareunia painful sex impaired fertility so those are the most taught associated symptoms but it is so hard to diagnose because it can present in so many different ways. The symptoms you get in endometriosis are due to two things. The first is having that abnormal tissue in the wrong place causing problems. The second is because 
there's something in your body that's ectopic, something is where it shouldn't be, it can cause an inflammatory response. And so some symptoms are due to the tissue itself, and some symptoms are due to that kind of accompanying inflammation. So some of the other symptoms besides the ones I mentioned include abdominal pain that is not related to menstruation, pain with urination, pain with suffocation or pooping, constipation or diarrhea, irregular periods, nausea or vomiting, and feeling just very fatigued. So it depends where the lesions are. So if you have them along your GI tract and your intestines, then that can kind of cause that constipation, diarrhea, pain going to the bathroom, nausea, etc. If you have them on your bladder, then it can cause that pain with urination and it can even cause chest pain or coughing up blood if you do have those lesions on your in your chest or on your lungs. And in addition to the symptoms being so all over the place, kind of based on where those lesions are, you also can have no symptoms at all. So there have been people that will undergo surgery for a totally unrelated reason and the surgeons will see that they have this ectopic endometrium on other parts of their body. And so some people have no pain and no real symptoms associated with this at all. And it's found what's called like incidentally. So it's found basically by accident and then they're diagnosed. So you can have no symptoms at all. You can have symptoms that are extremely debilitating and you can have symptoms that lie anywhere in between. So it varies so much from person to person, both what symptoms you're having and how severe they are. As I already mentioned, that impaired fertility is a big association with this disease. It's a huge problem that people have because of it. It can be devastating for people. And there's a few different reasons why people's fertility is impaired. First off, we know that sex can be very painful. So obviously that makes it less pleasurable. You might not want to have sex to get pregnant. But beyond that, because of that abnormal tissue and scarring because of it over time, it can definitely affect the ovaries and it can deplete your ovarian reserve or the eggs you have that are capable of being fertilized. So impact on the ovaries is a big reason for impaired fertility. Also, because of the scarring all kind of along your reproductive tract, you are more likely to have miscarriages. Both Halsey and Chrissy Teigen have spoken out about miscarriages that they've suffered and they attribute these to their endometriosis. But I do want to add that both Halsey and Chrissy Teigen have also successfully conceived and had gone pregnant and delivered healthy, happy babies. So that's important to know, too. And that's why I don't really like saying infertility. It can cause all of these fertility problems for sure. So I'm not trying to undermine those. But I do also want to encourage people that for a lot of people with this condition, they are still able to successfully conceive. And then even if you are able to get pregnant, though, there could be complications with delivering like Amy Schumer, comedian, specifically had spoken about her C-section and said that because of her endometriosis, her C-section took over three hours. And so I have seen many C-sections as a pediatrician. It usually takes about half an hour, maybe up to an hour when the you know surgeons are closing you back up. But over three hours is a long time. And usually, I don't know what the case was before, Amy, I assume she was awake because she said it was a really scary experience. And typically you are awake for C-section. So to be on the operating table for so long for what's supposed to be a quick procedure and your baby is, you know, maybe you can hold it while they're closing you up. Maybe the baby is somewhere else. It's probably so stressful to 
again, go in anticipating this quick, uncomplicated procedure, and then it takes hours longer than it should. And so I just wanted to bring light to that as well. The differential diagnosis for this condition is quite wide. So differential diagnosis is like all the things a doctor might think about when you present seeking care. And the most common symptoms of endometriosis that cause people to seek care are problems with fertility and chronic pelvic pain, usually a cyclic pelvic pain. So that happens once a month associated with your period. But a lot of different things can cause these. There's a lot of other pelvic problems, problems with your reproductive tract that might cause chronic pelvic pain. And you can have secondary dysmenorrhea, so painful periods secondary to a medical condition, including endometriosis. But you also could have, and more commonly, people have primary dysmenorrhea, which is dysmenorrhea, painful periods that are primary. They're not due to any underlying cause. It's really common to have very painful periods. And so sometimes, you know, physicians might think about that before something else going on. And then, of course, because your symptoms could be related to your GI tract, there's a lot of other gastrointestinal things that people might think about, like irritable bowel syndrome, which I talk about in great detail in episode four, constipation, inflammatory bowel disease, and conditions with the urinary system. Anyways, you have to consider kind of everything in that area. So GI tract, urinary tract, and your reproductive tract as different sources of your symptoms. And also, because with any pain thing, it can also be due to your nervous system. So physicians also need to consider things like neurological causes. So if there's any nerve problems causing that chronic pain or things that are psychosomatic. So things that are psychosomatic are basically somatic means like your body. So physical symptoms that are due to a more psychological cause. So like severe pelvic pain can definitely be also due to stress or anxiety or things like that. Those are the things to consider if you're considering endometriosis. How do you diagnose it? This is where things get tricky. And this is why there are so many people that wait so long for a diagnosis. There is no specific lab finding for endometriosis. So for certain diseases, there are markers in your blood that can diagnose or at least make certain conditions more likely. For endometriosis, that's not the case. There's no obvious lab abnormalities that are associated with this condition. In terms of imaging, there are imaging findings that might be helpful. So you can use an ultrasound or an MRI and it might show you masses. So like little cysts on your ovaries, in your abdomen, or on your chest wall or nodules that might indicate the endometriosis. And so you can't tell for sure what's in those cysts by looking at the picture. But if your symptoms fit with endometriosis and you're seeing those masses, then, you know, kind of alarm bells should go off. You should be like, oh, that's pretty likely. So the cysts that you see on the ovaries, so ovarian cysts, unfortunately, are pretty common. They could be benign, so not associated with anything else. There's something called polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, which would cause cysts on your ovaries. So just seeing them on an MRI, it's hard to kind of tell what the cyst is. In endometriosis, these cysts are actually something called endometriomas. So these masses are full of endometrial tissue. So that ectopic tissue forms 
cyst like structures on your ovaries or other parts of your body that can be seen on MRI. So unfortunately, because there's no obvious test, a lot of the time the dis- diagnosis is made by excluding other conditions. And so that could take a long time, that workup, and that also can contribute to this delay in diagnosis. The What's considered the gold standard, so like the best way to diagnose it, is by surgery. So if you go into the abdomen, you can see that ectopic tissue. You can biopsy it, take some off, put it under a microscope, confirm what it is, and then you have the diagnosis for sure. But now people are starting to lean more towards something called a presumptive diagnosis. So if you presume someone has a diagnosis, again, based on an obvious story, maybe imaging, and no other obvious causes of their pain, then you can start treatment without having to do that diagnostic surgery. And so this should be a decision that patients and doctors are making together. They can talk about, you know, the risks and benefits of surgery, the cost, the availability, the availability, things like that, and then decide what feels like the right move for them. And so the presumptive diagnosis is especially favored in people with no abnormal imaging findings. So if your story sounds all like endometriosis, you don't see anything on the MRI, your symptoms are mild to moderate so bad but not like so debilitating you can try some medications that are pretty low risk so one of them is like NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and you could start hormonal contraception so like a birth control pill or a hormonal IUD and so these are great places to start in people who don't want to get surgery and a lot of people do very well with these interventions like people can see a lot of improvement in their symptoms unfortunately if these make your symptoms go away it doesn't necessarily confirm the diagnosis and if they don't make any difference at all it also does not confirm or refute the diagnosis it's really just hard to kind of know but if you're failing medical management that might be a reason also why you might want to get the surgery so if you try these lower risk interventions and they don't really do much for you then you might want to get surgery. So surgery off the bat is preferred in people with really severe symptoms who have very limited function. I know Padma talked about getting multiple procedures. I don't remember how many surgeries. I want to say like seven. Like I said, surgery is useful in people who don't respond well to other low-risk treatments. Um, And so surgery is good because it's the only way to really definitively confirm this diagnosis so to know for sure what you're dealing with and a big advantage of the surgery is that you can treat it at the same time as diagnosing it so the good news is you can kind of remove those lesions from wherever you see them so kind of scrape out that ectopic tissue and that can really improve people's symptoms the problem is this is not always a permanent cure so sometimes people's symptoms don't come back often they do I know Lena Dunham has spoken about her struggle with endometriosis and she had very severe symptoms for over a decade and underwent eight of these surgeries to try to get rid of all that extra tissue and nothing fully relieved her symptoms and she ultimately decided to get a hysterectomy so fully remove her uterus as to not have these symptoms in the future which is really hard that's a really hard choice for for someone to make especially you know she was 31 at the time if you are thinking about 
you know, family in the future. It's it's a hard choice to make to undergo that type of surgery. It's it's really hard. So I I feel for her and everyone with this condition, and I hope that was a good choice for her and that so she has since been, you know, feeling much better and able to do a lot more and just more comfortable overall. So wanted to point that out. That is an extreme. That is not the route for most people with this condition. But like I said, surgeries, some of them have complete resolution of their symptoms. Some people have recurrence and some people even have recurrence and worsening over time of their symptoms. But also sometimes that just happens as like the natural course of the disease. And some people over time, the symptoms just go away. And some people, they're pretty constant. And in others, they get worse over time. I do also want to mention the management of endometriomas. So that's another benefit of surgery is those endometriomas or those masses of endometrial tissue that might be on your ovaries. Those do not respond to medical therapy. So while the NSAIDs and the birth control might really help your symptoms, they won't make those endometriomas go away. And these endometriomas have multiple problems. The first is, unlike those other types of ovarian cysts that I mentioned, um, these are made of endometrial tissue, as we know, and so they can bleed on your menstrual period, which can be very painful. And the other thing is these cysts if they're really big, they can rupture or they can cause something called ovarian torsion, where your ovary, basically the ligament that it's attached to that contains its blood supply, kind of twists and then it cuts off that blood supply to the ovary, um, which again, super, super painful. And it can cause that ovarian tissue. If it's not getting any blood, it can die. And so women with really small endometriomas so less than five centimeters, it's actually recommended that they stay in place because by cutting them out, it can further decrease your ovarian reserve. So if you're cutting out those endometriomas, it can affect how many viable eggs you have. However, if they're larger, they might be, again, more painful and increasing risk of things like rupture and torsion. And for those reasons, you would want to take out those endometriomas and then Again, like any other surgical intervention that I mentioned, hopefully that will help with your symptoms a lot. And hopefully you don't need to get that more than once. I do want to mention, while we're talking about treatments, Tia Bowery, who is an actress, she was in the show Sister, Sister with her twin Tamara, which was like my favorite show. I used to watch it every single morning when I got right from school. It was um, the best. But she has spoken about her experience with endometriosis, and she said... She was especially compelled to speak out because she had never seen anyone else African-American in the public eye talking about endometriosis or infertility. So for those reasons, I think it's fantastic that she spoke out. Advocating is great for everyone, but also seeing people that look like you going through something similar to you is so much more comforting. And so I love her for that. However, she also said that after some dietary changes and focusing on my health and wellness, I was able to make becoming a mother a reality for me, not just once, but twice. So here's to all my endo sisters. Continue to hope and continue to heal. I, again, like the empowerment. I like, you know, conveying a positive message. I will say I don't love that she is saying that she basically cured her infertility with her diet. 
Some studies have found that fruits, vegetables, dairy, and omega-3 have improved symptoms of endometriosis. And other studies have found that other types of fat and a lot of red meat can worsen your symptoms of endometriosis. But overall, findings about the role of vegetables, fruits, red meat, vitamins, dairy, coffee, other things, it's just very inconsistent. There hasn't been any really solid evidence that you can cure your endometriosis through your diet. So it's just it's just not conclusive. Further research is still needed to kind of better understand this. And I think it's great that she's kind of supporting other women and sharing a positive story because I'm so happy that for her this helped and that she was able to conceive. But it might be misleading to tell others that by changing your diet, you can cure it because again, I don't really know if that's the case. It isn't really known if that's true. And like I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's just the natural course of the disease that your symptoms just go away or your endometriosis just improves. And so while her diet may have played a role, it also may have just been kind of in her cards that her endometriosis improved with time and she was able to conceive. So I love this for her. I'm so happy she was able to be a mom, is able to be a mom in general. I personally don't think we know enough to say that it's curative to change your diet, but I will also say it's not harmful to try it. So I don't want people to think that they'll just totally get better with the diet and then are disappointed when they don't and blame themselves, but nobody will suffer from having a healthier diet. So like, it's a fine thing to recommend. I just, you know, don't want to manipulate people's expectations. Something I have seen on TikTok that is harmful is vaginal steaming. I've seen videos about, you know, recommending literally releasing steam into your vagina to help with endometriosis. This can be dangerous. This can have negative health effects. And there has been zero evidence that this does anything valuable for you. I think maybe it's possible that kind of the therapeutic effects of heat make people feel better. But like it can be really bad. It can affect the bacterial flora in your vagina. It can cause burns and scarring. Like it just would not recommend at all. If heat makes your symptoms better, use like a heating pad. Don't put steam in your vagina. Now to wrap up. I touched earlier on the delay in diagnosis. So I just want to elaborate on that a little bit more. The delay in general is attributed to just the fact that there's no obvious test or biomarker to diagnose this disease and the diversity of symptoms that could be considered a regular response to menstruation, like pain and discomfort, but also so many other things that could be in so much overlap with other GI and gynecological causes. And so the long, complicated workup to rule out other things can also delay treatment. We've made a lot of progress over the last few decades in terms of this earlier diagnosis and management, and much of that can be attributed to awareness. So I wanted to make this episode to further that conversation a little bit more because we still have a long way to go for optimal diagnosis and care for this condition. The chronic pain associated with this disease and the frustration from not having an explanation for years of suffering can have a huge impact on quality of life, not to mention how devastating it can be to have painful sex with your partner or to struggle with fertility. 
So this condition, like we know from Padma specifically, can impact your ability to go to work, your social functioning, and your relationships. And so in addition to the terrible physical impact it can have through the chronic pain, it can also have a huge emotional impact. So I think it's really important to talk about. And if you listen to me ramble about it for all this time, thank you so much for being here. I hope you learned something about endometriosis and... Yeah, I appreciate you listening. If you have any recommendations for future episodes, you can send them to me at Nettia Podcast on TikTok or Instagram or at gmail.com. Thank you.